Good morning. Good morning. All right. I think we're on now. Is it? Oh, that's a problem. You would think I would know better than that by now. <laughs> there we go. Hey, friends, do you have a favorite title for yourself? Do you have a favorite role you play? Maybe it's one in the home of mom or dad. Maybe it's wife or husband, grandma, grandpa for some of you. Maybe your favorite title for yourself comes from outside the home. Maybe it's boss or leader. Maybe it's coach or captain. Maybe it's some role you play at school or on the sports team or at work or in the community. Well, last weekend was a celebration of life for one of the godliest men I have ever known. A guy named Lynn Laughlin showed up to Lincoln Christian College, actually Lincoln Bible Institute, way back in the day, over six decades ago. He showed up as a freshman in college and then never left that institution. Immediately after he graduated, he worked for them as a coach, as a professor, as a teacher, eventually as an administrator. He filled the pulpit in dozens, if not hundreds of churches all over the Midwest and the the country, and even all over the world. And he served all the way until he was in his 80s. And even after retiring, he didn't fully retire. He just rewired for the next call of God on his life. And so recently, Lynn passed away, and he left an indelible impression upon the people of God and this world. But one thing that impressed me about Lynn is that of all the people who knew him, Of all the titles he could have worn, even those who never played on a sports team for him knew him best as coach. Because that's just who Lynn Laughlin was. He was coach. And in fact, of the titles that I wear, especially in different leadership positions, that's the title I prefer. I appreciate the respect that comes with the word boss, and I've had some different boss positions in my life, but to me, I just don't love that. Boss seems more cold and heavy-handed, barking out orders, a top-down, do-as-I-say kind of thing. I've preferred the picture of coach. I loved my years coaching athletes, pushing them, nudging them, encouraging them to do hard things, to push themselves to be better so they could become more than what they were before. I've loved watching them work hard and do hard things and then reap the rewards and the benefits of it. To me, coaching is a lift them up and develop them. It's more about the others. And that's the way I've tried to approach my leadership role in the home. I want to coach my kids up to be all who God has created them to be. That's the role I try to have at church. I'd rather coach my staff than boss over my staff. I don't always get it right. And if you ask the staff, they'll tell you probably pretty often I get it wrong. But that's what I prefer. Well, this week we begin week 34 of Quest 52. It's our year-long pursuit of Jesus. And we're looking at the question, the driving question for this week of how did Jesus lead? What was Jesus' preferred leadership model? How did he lead us? And what was his favorite title for himself? And we'll find that one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself was shepherd. And that's how he led as a shepherd. So we're going to be in John 10, 10, or John 10 today, rather. And if you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one that looks like this from the pew. The pew, it's been a long time since we've had pews. 
man, I'm off a little bit, but we'll get back on, right? But you can grab them from the seat back in front of you, or if you have a digital copy, you can open up your Bible app, Bible Gateway. Um, we're also going to have it right here on the screen, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So starting in John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Now, context for this, Jesus is talking to religious leaders and some of his followers at that time. And this idea of a sheepfold and robbers. Well, most people, almost every family in that culture of 2,000 years ago there in the Israel area, these people would have owned at least a few sheep. And they would have used those sheep to make their clothing, right? They would shear the sheep and make clothing, especially in the wintertime. And most of those families would then have those sheep come into their home during the evening and they would sleep, the people would sleep in the upstairs or at least many of them in a loft-like setting up above and the heat from those sheep would help warm the house. But they would have the sheep right there in their home. Now, any of you, especially guys in the room, were you kind of dirty as a kid? Did you make a mess as a kid? You ever hear your mom say, well, you think you were raised in a barn? Man, what an advantage having sleep there. Well, you know, mom, the sheep sleep here. So yeah, I mean, I kind of wish I had that excuse when I was a kid because I heard that a lot. Now, if you were one of those people who raised sheep for a living and you had a whole lot of sheep, there's no way you would fit all of your sheep into your home. So what they would have is attached to the house, they would have a sheep pen. And the wall of the house would serve as one of the the walls, one of the boundaries for that, but then they would have a fence or a wall that went out and around and had one single gate. And that's where they would keep all their sheep. But an image that the people of that time would have been very familiar with is that robbers and thieves would come. They would sneak over the wall at night while the sheep were asleep. And to keep the sheep from waking up, because if you were to try and take a sheep and just hand it over the wall to your partner, it would wake up and and then the other sheep are going to start and then, you know, the owner's going to come out, you're in trouble. So they would actually kill the sheep first and then hand this sheep over the wall to their partner and they would steal the sheep. So they would kill them and steal them. And this was the image that people would have in their mind. And this is what Jesus was referring to just a few verses later when he says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now he's talking using an image that they were familiar with, the very real thief who would come to steal the sheep. But he's using this metaphorically to speak of Satan, of the devil. And the devil longs for nothing more than to steal your joy, to kill your hope, to destroy your soul for eternity. And that's what he does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. But Jesus came that you would have a rich and satisfying life. Some translations say a life that overflows or a life that is abundant. When we talk of eternal life with Jesus, we're not just talking of longevity or quantity. We're talking quality. Because even a long life, if it doesn't have the abundance that Jesus gives us, that's no good. In fact, that's hellish, if you will. 
But Jesus longs for us to have a rich, satisfying, quality life, a full, overflowing with joy and goodness and peace and love and mercy kind of life. And that's what he longs to give us. Well, Jesus continues in this passage. He says, the one who enters through the gates is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know the stranger's voice. There are really two ways to move sheep. You can either drive them or you can lead them. And in many parts of the world still today, shepherds drive their sheep in a way that is similar to how we might think of cowboys driving their cattle. They walk behind them. And when the sheep start to veer off of the path, the shepherd has a long pole, has a big stick, and he will hit the sheep and get them back to where they need to go. At first, it might be gentle, but if they don't go and he has to nudge them, he hits them harder and harder. And he beats the sheep back into submission. And some of you, that's your picture of how God relates to you. That God's got this narrow path and maybe you think a narrow-minded path and once you veer from it god wants to punish you god wants to harm you god wants to beat you god is just going to beat you back into submission you better get back on his path and that's not been very attractive to you well that wouldn't be attractive to me either but that's not who jesus is and that's not how jesus leads jesus leads us he doesn't drive us says they know his voice they follow his voice and they follow him still to this day the shepherds of israel most of them they don't drive their sheep they lead them in fact the shepherds will go out in the morning and when they get to their sheep pen the sheep recognize the shepherd and when he begins talking to them they raise up and they go where he goes and they they long to be led and fed and they begin following him. And I was reading recently of a shepherd in Israel who has about 2,000 sheep and regularly, almost daily, he takes his sheep out to a particular pasture field. And there are several other shepherds there as well. Sometimes as many as 10 of them gather in a spot, each of them with a couple thousand sheep. So there's several shepherds and 20,000 sheep in this spot. And the sheep all intermingle. They drink from the same calm lake waters. They rest on these beautiful pastures beside the water. They graze in the same grassland. But then later in the day, when it's time to go, one of the shepherds will say, well, you know, I've got a journey home. And he'll let out a unique call. And all of his sheep that are laying in the fields, they will raise their head. They will look at him and they will get up and they will begin to follow that shepherd. And then another shepherd says, yeah, I need to get going too. And he'll let out his unique call and his sheep recognize his voice. And their heads pop up. They get up, they begin to follow. And on and on it goes. Each shepherd calling his sheep with a unique call with his own voice. And never have these sheep gone with the wrong shepherd. Never has a single sheep been left behind. They know the shepherd's voice, they hear his voice, and they follow. There's something about recognizing a voice. When you watch an animated movie, do you ever try and figure out who the famous voice is of the actor behind the animation? Anybody else in here do that? 
Oh, come on. I know. When you hear a certain commercial, you know when Morgan Freeman is the narrator of the commercial, right? Like, you know the voice. And it's one thing to know the famous voices. You recognize the big famous voices. But isn't it more special to recognize the voice of those who care most about us, whom we care most about? Even when my parents didn't know how to use call waiting, they knew when it was one of their kids who called or one of their grandkids who called. Even when they didn't know how to identify with the phone, they they knew the voice. They didn't need caller ID. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Scripture tells us that God knows our voice and we know his. Several years back, my family and I were uh, going hiking at a park and there were just enough trails that they could, my kids could maybe veer off and get off the path, get separated from us. And they were at that age where we wanted to give them a little bit of freedom, but not let them wander too far. So at the beginning of the day, I said, hey, let's do this. If we get separated, I'll let out a special, unique call. And you respond with a special, unique call. And if we get separated, I'll just call, call, and you start whoop, whoop, and we'll just follow the voice to each other. We'll find each other. Well, I let them crest a hill a little bit in front of us to have some fun, and I began cacawing, and they began whooping, and eventually we got back together, and it was fun, and they loved it. And that was several years ago. My kids were pretty little, and I may be known to still use that at times today in parks or in restaurants <laughs> or in supermarkets or in hardware stores, or at school events, or church events. And don't let my kids fool you. They love it. (laughs) Yeah. Now, friend, Jesus tells us we will know his voice, and he knows our voice. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. And he longs to lead us to the calm still waters. He longs to lead us to a rich and satisfying life. Not the rich, satisfying life that the world promises, but the truly satisfying life. A life rich in relationship, rich in peace and hope and mercy and joy. And that means if you're on the wrong path, there's a good chance you're probably listening to the wrong voice. See, whatever and whoever you listen to will determine the direction of your life. Whatever voice is loudest in your life, whatever voice you're choosing to follow, will determine the direction of your life. If you're following a particular voice, that's the direction you're going to go. And we are all tempted at different times to follow different voices. Some of you teenagers in here today, you're tempted to believe the voice that says that every adult is a dummy. Now let's be honest, some adults are. None of the ones in here, (laughs) but some are. But young people, you would be a dummy if you choose to dismiss all the wisdom of all the adults in your life. Those who care most about you, those who desire what is best for you. It would be unwise to dismiss them simply because you think they're older and out of touch. Those of you who are dating, you might be tempted to listen to the voice that says, well, we should just move in together. It'll make things a lot easier. We'll save more money. It'll be better for us. There is much wisdom in the Bible that speaks against that, but there is even an incredible amount of secular research that says that does not help you. That only works against long-term commitment. It's just unwise. Some of you, 
you've grown cynical and you're tempted to listen to the voice that says that church can just be a casual commitment. That maybe you don't even need church at all. Maybe you don't need anyone. Maybe you can do it alone. But you know that you don't want to be alone. You know that's not what's best for you. So don't follow that voice. Some of you are tempted to listen to the voice that tempts you to to compromise your integrity, to cheat or to lie. Even in that checkout aisle, at work, to claim work that's not your own, to leverage what somebody else has done, or even to work against a close friend on the sports team to earn your position that you didn't really earn. Some of you are tempted by the voice that says, your time, your money, your stuff is all yours, and you should be able to do with it whatever you want for whatever pleasure it brings you. Nobody should talk to you about generosity or sacrificing anything because you've worked hard. You've sacrificed to get what you got. But you know that selfishness is not the voice that will bring satisfaction. Some of you who are retired are tempted by the voice that says retirement is all for you. You've paid your time. You've done your dues. And it's time that other people serve you. And it's now just time for fun. And you're tempted to disengage from the mission of God. Listen, it's okay to retire from work, but none of us get to retire from the mission. I'm so appreciative of my buddy Lynn who lived on mission until his final day in his 80s. He retired, but then he just rewired for God's call on that final season of his life. So Jesus says, listen to my voice. And friend, the formula is simple. God speaks and we listen. Jesus leads and we follow. God speaks and we listen. Jesus leads and we follow. But why? Why should we follow Jesus? I mean, of all the voices out there today, of all the things clamoring for our attention, for all the voices speaking to us, why should we follow Jesus? I think it's because of who Jesus is. Not just how he leads, but who he is as the leader. See, Jesus said this of himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. And this first statement, there's so much packed into these five words in our language. But that first statement, I am, would have caught the attention of every religious leader in the audience of Jesus that day. They would have been shocked, appalled, because that wording, the way it is, no Jew would ever use that term, I am. They would not introduce themselves even in that way because they wanted to avoid using a term that God had used for himself. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you are probably at least somewhat familiar with the story of Moses. Moses, who had been in... Egypt and then ran away as a Jew and then he wandered in the desert and then he's wandering in the desert and he's working there and then he sees a bush that's on fire and he says well that's weird and not quite right and then the bush talks to him and he's like well here we go and the voice is God and God is speaking to him from a bush that's burning but not consuming and God says you need to go back to Egypt and you need to lead my people out of Egypt and you need to tell Pharaoh let my people go and most like all right fair enough um who should I say is sending me? Like when I get there, do I tell them the fiery bush told me this? And God's like, no, tell them I am has sent you, right? And you get this I am. And that's the name God gave to himself, I am. And in this moment, Jesus is claiming the I am for himself. He's claiming that same language, this Messiah-like language for himself. But he's adding to it 
This metaphorical language found throughout the Old Testament. This language of shepherd, when he says, I am the good shepherd. This is a metaphor God used for himself, but also for his leaders of his people. You probably are familiar with Psalm 23. Even if you're not super familiar with God's word, you've probably heard this at a funeral. The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus is claiming the Messiah language of the I am. He's claiming the good shepherd language of the psalmist. But in this, he's also putting himself against all the bad shepherds that Israel had had. Israel, the people of God, regularly had prophets speaking against their leaders saying you have been assigned this role to lead God's people to be a shepherd and yet you've not led them. You've not loved them. You've not cared for them. You've not sacrificed for them. You have used them for your own gain, for your own good. When they were hurting, you did not help them. When they were hungry, you did not feed them. You did not take care of the people you're supposed to take care of. When they wandered, you did not chase the lost ones. You have been bad shepherds. And in that, they also would have been reminded, Jesus' audience would have been reminded of these words spoken by the prophet Ezekiel. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. If my shepherds who I've put in charge won't do it, I will come in and do it myself. See, this is the language. This is the backdrop where Jesus says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. Oh, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he is not their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. See, this is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, that this is who they are. You are just a hired hand and you're looking out for yourself. You're building your kingdom, not God's kingdom. You care about yourself, but not the people under your care. Jesus is picking a fight here. But we fast forward 2,000 years. The Jesus words for people like me. For those of us who work for the church in the church. His words for ministers, for pastors, and for leaders in churches. That we better be taking care of those in our flock. Now, if you are newer to us, I want to let you know the way that church leadership works here at Oklahoma Christian. See, at the top of the org chart is Jesus. Always has been, always will be. That is never going to change. Jesus is our supreme authority. He is king. And no one person has any king power but him. And so directly under his leadership in our body of believers are the elders, Men who have demonstrated a godly life of surrender to the movement of the Spirit in their lives. Men who have demonstrated that they follow the voice of God. People who care 
for God, for his church, for his kingdom, for his people. Even at the expense of their own time and energy and sometimes even their own well-being. It's an unpaid position. And they mutually submit to one another and collectively they submit to the authority of Jesus. And then I submit to them. And so there's no one person, even though I preach most here and it's my voice you hear fairly often, I don't have the authority to come in and lead whatever I want. That There's no one person who gets to be the, the main dude leading it. That's Jesus. And so I submit to the elders. And the elders and I don't have this opposition of I submit to them and their bosses. and uh, No, it's, it's like this. We work closely with one another. We pray together. We serve together. We love on one another. In fact, today we've got a few hours of hanging out together and building one another up and discussing where God is leading us and what he's doing in this church and doing in us. And it's a beautiful thing. And then under my authority is the staff. And then under their authority are the key leaders and key volunteer positions and so on and so forth it goes. And in no area is it us against them, but it's all of us working together to advance God's kingdom, his mission for his glory. That's the way the church is structured. And if you are ever thinking that something is off with that, you come and let us know. And if you ever are finding yourself in a different community, you've moved to another area and you're part of another church and the leadership of that church operates in a different way than mutual submission to the authority of Christ found in his word. You run, you run because there's a good chance you don't have a good shepherd leading that church. Well, Jesus goes on and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. He says it again there. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and they will be one flock with one shepherd. And I love this because Jesus is speaking to what his people, the Israelites, should have done all along. They were positioned to be a voice to the nations, a picture to the nations of what following God should look like, to welcome others in, to follow God. And they had kind of dropped the ball on that. And This is the picture of Jesus, that Jesus is giving us of after the resurrection, when he would send his people out into all the world. Because all authority is his, and he sent us into every nation, into every people group, to speak the good news of life found in Jesus. To teach them, to baptize them, to teach them to follow him. And so he's hinting at us. Just looking around the room, I'm guessing most of us don't have much Jewish descent, (laughs) Jewish ancestry. Um, And so this is a good thing because he's saying it's not only for the Jewish people, but it's for all people, all nations. And there will be one church under one shepherd, Jesus. And so it's not just Oklahoma Christian Church, but we have brothers and sisters in churches all over the city and all over the state, all over this region, all over this country, all over the globe And if they submit to Jesus as king, we're on the same team. And so it's a beautiful thing to see what God is doing all over the world. Well, Jesus continues on. Since the father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. The cross was not forced on him. He chose. He surrendered. 
He says, I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Now, Jesus is giving foreshadow of the cross and the resurrection to come. Those listening to him that day were like, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about, but okay. Um, But it all made sense looking back. Now, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. He acknowledges the flock, but he says several times, I know my sheep. I know them by name. Friend, that's you. Jesus knows your name. He knows all your joys. He knows all that is transpired in your life. He knows all that's good. But he also knows your pain, your wounds, your fears, your hurts, your failures. All those things you keep secret. And he loves you just the same. And he longs to rescue you. He himself came to rescue you. That's what the cross is. It's his rescue moment for us. Now, in the old religious system of Jesus' time, the way to get right with God was that you had to sacrifice something. There was blood sacrifice required because sin is a big deal. And so there was animal sacrifice, and oftentimes it was the, the sheep that were sacrificed. And so sheep were raised, and the, take your best sheep. And if you didn't have one, you'd purchase one from a shepherd. You took the best sheep, and you sacrificed that. So you had all these sheep being sacrificed. Right? Like it's done, right? But that only lasts for a bit. So then next year, you got to do it again. Right? And then they're gone. Like, and again, and again, and again. Year in, year out. Like, and Jesus flips that whole thing on its head. No longer the sheep sacrifice for the sin. The sin. No longer the sheep sacrifice for the shepherds. No longer the sheep sacrifice for the people. Now the shepherd himself is sacrificed for us. The shepherd sacrificed for, his, for our sins. That he took all of that upon himself that we might be free. That we might have the life that he intended for us to have. So Jesus died, friend, for you. All of us. But that includes you. He died for you. And so will you follow his voice? Will you listen to his voice? Will you follow his lead? See, I can follow the lead of the God who leads the beauty and the glory of heaven to come to the brutality of a cross and the coldness of a grave and who conquers it and who does that in part driven because of his love for me, for you. I can follow that God. So why should we follow? Well, why wouldn't we? The formula is simple. Jesus leads, we follow. But I know if you don't think he's good, If you think Jesus would rather lead you with a stick and a club and beat you back into submission, if you don't think he has your best in mind, if you think that Jesus of the Bible is a cold, stark, religious, rule follower kind of God, then you'll listen to other voices. You'll listen to whatever other voice seems to be most satisfying in the moment. And we all have. The prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament says this. He says, all of us, every single one of us, like sheep, have strayed away from God. We have left God's paths to follow our own path. Yet the Lord laid on him, speaking in advance of Jesus, the sins of all of us. Jesus took our sins. God knew this would happen. The cross was part of his plan from early on. It wasn't just an accident. It didn't just happen. This was God's plan to redeem his people, to get us back on the right path. And his path though narrow, 
is also what's best for us. I think sometimes we know we're going down the wrong path, but we choose it anyway. We choose to argue with God. God, I like this path better. It's more fun. It's more enjoyable. It brings more pleasure. Your path kind of like, I don't know. It's things like persecution and generosity and surrender and sacrifice. Those things don't seem attractive. Even though the longer we journey with Jesus, we find those things are really beautiful parts of our life. But we tend to resist that and choose our own way. But here's the deal. If you rebel against God's path, you go your own way. You choose your own path. You will get hurt. The thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He wants to wreck you. He wants to ruin you. That's the enemy. Jesus desires to lead you in the path of peace and of an abundant life. Shepherds in the Middle East will tell you still to this day, when the shepherd goes out to the sheep pen in the morning, the oldest sheep especially, They don't even need to hear his voice. They recognize the shepherd. But when they hear his voice, all the sheep get up and they begin moving towards him. They follow him. They are eager to be led and fed. But if there are any new sheep in the sheep pen, those who haven't yet learned the shepherd's voice, they kind of freak out. In fact, they have this momentary like mental breakdown because they don't know what to do. They don't recognize his voice. Something seems wrong. They begin running around. They'll they'll hit their head against a sheep pen and they'll begin busting other things because they've not yet been trained to follow his voice. But over time, when they learn the shepherd's voice, they too have this calmness, this peace about him because they know he's there to provide them, to protect for them, to guide them. Some of you, you've been listening to so many other voices That when you hear God's voice, you kind of freak out. You think, well, that doesn't sound right. I don't know what to do. Maybe it seems narrow-minded or unloving or I can't believe God would think the way of those people. And, And you've heard all these other voices out there. That it's complicated it for you. Friend, we need to train ourselves to listen to the voice of God. You want to know how? It's right here. The more time we spend in God's word the more we hear his voice. The more we recognize what God says, the more it makes sense to us, the more we see that that really is the best path forward. The more we spend time in his word. That's why I love this journey we're on this year, just getting to know Jesus and follow his path. And as we do, we see, man, that is the best path for us in every area of life. And the more we spend time here in his word, the more we begin to recognize his voice in other areas. You may never have that Morgan Freeman booming from heaven voice moment of God, like, do this. And I'm not going to try and imitate Morgan Freeman's voice, but, you know, that voice of booms. You, you may never hear God's voice that way, but you'll sense the prompting. You'll sense what he's doing. You'll know when two, when the path diverges. You'll know which way you should go because it aligns with God's word. You'll hear Jesus calling you that direction. It helps us sift out from others. And if you wonder why you should follow Jesus, well, just remember that the God who sacrifices himself for you voluntarily is not a God who is opposed to you, but a God who is for you. He loves you and he desires to rescue you. But remember too that to follow him, to follow his lead. See, we we hear his voice, right? It's simple. God speaks, we listen. Jesus leads, we follow. Well, to follow means there's movement. It means we go in the direction of Jesus. There's no such thing as passive following. There's no such thing as just standing still and following. If we follow, there is movement towards Jesus, movement in the way of Jesus. We move on the path that Jesus has for us. And there are times when we stray. 
all of us. And when we stray, know this, that that same psalm that begins, the Lord is my shepherd, it ends this way. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me, will chase after me all the days of my life. Some of you have been running from God and you think God is chasing after you with a big stick to punish you, to beat you down. You think God is against you, that he is cold and distant. That is not Jesus. That's the enemy. God does chase after you, but it is not his punishment. It is not God's vengeance chasing after you. It's his goodness that pursues you. It is his unfailing love that chases after you. It is his mercy chasing after you. And if you have never before surrendered to that, don't delay any longer. Surrender to him. Begin to train yourself to hear his voice and follow him. Some of you, you've been running for so long. And until you come to realize that God is for you, you'll keep running. You'll choose to follow whatever voice is loudest at the time. You'll choose whatever voice promises the most temporary satisfaction in your life. And it will leave you wrecked at the end. Some of you, you began following but you've wandered off the path. And and you're afraid it's been too long. You're afraid you've wandered too far. But let me tell you, Jesus is still calling to you. He's still chasing after you. Listen to his voice, follow his voice and come home. And some of you, some of you, you think you've been listening to the voice of God, but you've been listening to some imposters. Some of what they say sounds like this. But there's some divergence in there. You need to tune out the other voices. You need to turn off the other noise. You need to turn off some of the podcasts. You need to turn off social media. You need to turn off the news. And you need to dig into God's word. And begin to train yourself to hear his voice once again. And that will help you discern his voice from the imposters. It'll help you discern the correct path forward. Friend, wherever you might be, I hope that it's not just that you know what kind of leader Jesus was, that you know that he is a good shepherd. You can know that he is a good shepherd and still waste your life and miss the life he has for you. Our prayer, our hope as the leaders of this church is that you will know Jesus as your good shepherd. That you will train to follow his voice, to know his voice, and to follow his lead. And that through that, you would experience the rich and the satisfying life Jesus has for you. God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Jesus, we thank you that you have laid down your life for us, that our salvation is not bound up in what we do by how good or how bad we are, but it is wrapped up in what you have done for us and how good you are to us. God, we thank you that you are the one who comes to rescue us as all of us have strayed at times. But we thank you that you gently nudge us back. You don't lead us or you don't drive us with a stake, you don't drive us harshly, but you lead us with a cross. 
You lead us with love. You sacrificed yourself and modeled what it is to lead with sacrifice and surrender and service. God, may that be the mark of our lives. May we surrender to you. May we know you as our own good shepherd. May we follow your lead and hear your voice. And for any who have not yet done that, God, may today be their day. And we pray this all for the betterment of the world, for the blessing of this church, and for your glory and yours alone, Lord. Amen. Well, church, you heard me mention earlier the leadership